Welcome to the second episode of the Directors, the Trials and Miles podcast. I am Cooper Knowlton. I'm once again joined by David Albano. And today we are very lucky to have our friend Jesse Williams hopping on. For those of you not familiar with Jesse, Jesse is the director of Sound Running. He puts on many of the fastest, most competitive events in the country, including the 10, Track Fest, the Brooks PR Invitational cross champs. I could keep going, but chances are if you've seen fast times run in this country in the last few years, many of those have been run at one of Jesse's meets. Jesse is one of the people probably in the space doing the most to uh, try and change the sport, revitalize professional track and field in this country. Someone we've we've been lucky to work with in some capacity and get to know and chat with and always full of awesome ideas and thinking outside the box. We were chatting a few weeks ago when we were in Austin together about this article that came out about the London Diamond League event and how that was an event that somehow was sold out. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think they had more than 50,000 fans in attendance, huge events, and somehow it came out that that event still lost, I think they said somewhere between 100000 or $500,000 or 500 euros. So, you know, just kind of wanted to start there and, and hear your thoughts on that and you know, someone who's put on events, like seeing an event that packs the stands with 50,000 people, if that event is unable to make money, is there any hope for professional track and field or are we doomed? Are we in a in just a, a sport that's doomed to never make money? Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty surprising to read that because when I think of the UK and I think of like the London Diamond League, I think of like how specifically successful track is in the UK. Like, the London Olympics was, you know, the most educated track fan base and it's front page news there and it's getting the same billing as basketball or football would get here, you know, and they're the superstars in athletics. There really are. It's not like, oh, you're the superstar of track, but like there's a pecking order. It's like, no, you're the superstar. So um, it was very surprising to see it come from there. If that had been something in the U.S., I'd have been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, But to see that from there... When I look at how we look at the model without having media rights be a really big factor yet, for us, ticket sales is where we would actually start to make money. And so to see an event that sold out and lost money, it makes me think that their costs and their behind the scenes spending must have been pretty extravagant. Yeah, I don't see how you do that unless they're getting gouged by the stadium or they're getting, you know, like certain things have become cost ineffective, but I can't imagine. It'd be really cool to, I mean, it'd be great to see like the PL of it all and to be pretty amazing. I don't imagine they would show us that, but. How much of that do you think, especially at the Diamond League level, how much of that do you think is appearance fees, pacers? agents, hotels, how much of that do you think is specific to the top athletes? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of fees going in there, but even then those fees directly relate to like, you pay for Noah Lyles and you're going to sell more tickets. So usually that like correlates. So I, I feel like you're spending money somewhere else. I think there are extravagancies that like, you know, every one of these diamond leagues, they stay in basically the nicest hotel in the city that they're in. And these are very, these are luxurious cities to begin with, right? And their accommodations, you know, 
for us, a lot of the things we haven't done in the past, we, we've never really done travel because most of the top athletes have such a good travel budget. The higher level you are, the better your travel budget is. And so it is kind of interesting that one of their big fees is travel, but that person who they're flying in first class with their crew also has the biggest travel budget personally from their sponsor. So it's interesting how that works. I'm sure there's cost savings there, but I don't think they look at it that way. Are there any other sports, I was just thinking when you were talking about travel, that do travel in the way that track and field does? Like I, tennis and golf, I, I watched the Netflix show on the golfers and like all those golfers pay their, like top golfers, they're all paying their own way, right? They're all paying their own way. And a lot of them are taking private jets because they're you know millionaires. But I don't think the PGA Tour is flying in all these golfers. I think we're like one of the few sports that that part of the race director's requests, and certainly Dave and I get this all the time when we put on events, we get hit up by athletes all the time being like, hey, is there any money for accommodation? Is there any money for hotels, for flights, for food, for all those things? It's like a very unique part of our business that I don't know if that translates to other sports. Yeah, I don't I, I don't see it anywhere else. And I have had conversations with some of the athletes over the years who somebody here or there would be like, well, why aren't you paying travel? And I said, you know, it'd be really hard to figure out. Cause I said, the athletes that actually need the travel money, it'd be hard to justify putting that money towards that. The, the athletes who are going to move the needle, who are going to sell tickets, who are going to get more people to watch online. We're going to build the buzz around the event. 99% of the time, those athletes have really good travel budgets. Either their team has a full travel budget or they themselves and their contract has a travel budget. And some of these travel budgets, especially for the stars, are really, really good. They can fly first class everywhere they want to go. They can do whatever. Now, granted, that's, those are the very top people. But everybody else, they're never hurting to get to an event. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Our sport does spend a lot of money. I mean, you think about how many people go to World Athletics Championships. You know, think about the NBA Finals and it's 24 guys. I, thought, I forgot what world championships was. It was over a thousand people. It was like something crazy. A thousand athletes competing. I mean, something crazy. Yeah. yeah. It was a high number. And I, I believe all their travels, like every, the federations and everything, like everything's paid. You're also splitting that money between so many different things because compared to like one team or one event. It's also an interesting, yeah, and we've talked about this a lot. And I think one of the interesting things about what you've done is you've largely focused on distance running, right? I mean, you've sort of taken the normal model is a normal model of a track means to have 40 different events and you are spreading the pot very thin between all the prize money. And you've sort of focused on like, I'm just going to go all in on the distance races, which is kind of different from the traditional track model. And we've largely done the same thing, but from, you know, the, the fans of jumps and throws are usually different from the fans of distance running and sprinting, even sprinting, right? Like even the people who follow sprints is very different from the people who follow distance running. And I think the 40 different event of model is also, I think, going to be a really hard one to scale and grow. Jesse, do you feel like we're held at the mercy of world athletics in growing our sport where like you want to put a gold level, silver level, bronze level meet, you have to have 10 events or 12 events. And now as a meet director, you're like, all right, now I need a long jump going off with a shot put, going off with a 5K. It's just to Cooper's point, it feels like there's too much, too many events, impossible to follow. And I don't know how much of that is, is coming from above from the governing body, how you feel. I know that I felt the pressure with like just a bronze level meet. You know, I will say this, World Athletics, I think the, the smartest thing they've done in the last however many years is to put these labels 
all these events and to establish some kind of like pecking order or ranking or whatever, because I think it's fixed a couple things. You can't do like these last second things. You can't do time trials. You can't do these inner squad time trials or anything like that that people were complaining about. I think it fixed a lot of things, but we're not there yet. I think that was like step one. You know, we found ourselves sometimes going, okay, we have eight, we need four more. And that doesn't do those events justice, I guess, when we add them like that. We'll end up getting a weaker event. And it's hard to pick. Now I feel like we're picking all these things and trying to pick. Honestly, we end up doing it based on the stadium. We're like, if you can view this event properly, you know, maybe that's better. But I do think the amount of events makes it hard. And we stuck with mostly distance just because I think our first event was just mostly kind of a distance classic. And for better or worse, we just kind of stuck with that. I mean, we've added stuff here and there. We've had full events. It's a whole other list of things you have to do. And, it, you know, it's not just add one event. It's like, well, yeah, like like Cooper was saying, you know, it's completely different. Putting on a really good 100 meter and putting on a really good mile could not be more different. Totally. I don't know why, but the culture of milers is like, yeah, we'll all come. You're putting a meat on. I don't care if it's in your backyard. I don't care if there's any money up. But the culture of the 100 is these are the stars of the sport. And so you need to put up money and you need to have specific setup that work for them, whether it's prize money or appearance money or whatever it is. And so it's very, very different. And then those lanes are, are hard, like eight lanes. Even for the high school meet that we work on, filling eight lanes is really, really hard because one person drops and then you get two more and you, you know, like, where is that a distance race? Like if you have 14 in the mile and you get down and person drops, it doesn't change anything. But having open lanes in a, in a hundred or a quarter or whatever, you know, it doesn't look good on TV or whatever. So it creates just a whole other list of things to worry about. And it, it is hard. It is very hard. These Diamond League meet directors, even at that level with all the appearance money and, and travel and all that, you see empty lanes. Yeah. Have you noticed when you have tried to do multiple events, so when you have jumps or when you have sprints and distance races, does the economics of your events change in a significant way? Like, are you able to sell more tickets because now you're bringing in two different viewing audiences or does it end up maybe diluting the product? Like, how do you, how do you sort of think about that from a, from an economics perspective? Yeah, for us, let's say we did a bronze level meet or a silver level meet, having those extra events, a lot of the times I would say all it did was cost us more Yeah, because the reality is, is the stars that show up to those events, it's usually Diamond League or Gold. They're not coming to many events lower than that. And that's a pretty big jump. You know, for people that don't know, I think bronze is 30K in prize money, silver is 75, gold is 200. It's, it's a substantial jump. And we're not getting the athletes for those silver and bronze meets and those events that move the needle. So all it really does is cost us more prize money. I wish that was the case because it's interesting. Like I said, the, the culture of the distances is like, because they need times, they're going to show up and run the races where they think they're going to run fast, even if there wasn't a label. I've thought about that before. I was like, we try to do a label because we want the best of both worlds where they're getting points and whatever. And we know to stay competitive, we have to do that. But there's been times where I'm like, I think everybody would show up even if we didn't have a label because they need those times. Also, that's just our sport being centered around times is probably the thing going back to world athletics that 
if there was one thing they could get rid of, it'd be times. Like times are great and they're always gonna excite people and there's always gonna be races here and there where people are gonna go for records, but it'd be great if the points are based on head to head only and times didn't matter. Cause think about, I know you guys, I mean, think about how much you worry about weather and all these things. Like you wouldn't, you'd just be like, we're racing, we're racing today. Like if I have the slightest breeze at one of our meets in Southern California, I'm like, oh no, people aren't gonna run fast. We wanted to chat about this today because when it comes to NASCAR and FX1 and even horse racing, you can win the race in two minutes or three minutes or 10 minutes or 40 minutes. It doesn't matter. It's just like that. But I feel like in the distance world, you bring Grant Fisher and the best 10K runners in the world and they jog for 24 laps and they have this insane finish, kind of like what you see at the trials. Everyone's complaining. It right. could be the sickest race in the world. Everyone is complaining about, oh, they only ran 28.30. Like, is this something that will ever change with time standard and whatnot? Is there any world where we can eliminate pacers and just like whatever strategy works, you know? Overnight, I think... Eliminating pacers would make things pretty interesting. Every meet would count, you know, the win. Like the amount of times I've seen people are really excited about their time, but they got like fifth. And I thought like, well, that's interesting, you know, because you want to win. Points and all those things shouldn't link up to that because you can find this perfect scenario and run this time. But the, the wins would just change the sport immediately as far as matchups and as far as like people would have to race more. So if you just said, okay, times are out, but points against each other is it. You know, you have to run X amount of label races and the NCAA cross country thing, or maybe even the BCS, like the more high ranked people you race against, the better, right? So if you're running in the big races and you win a big race, that's worth more points. If you run in a weak race and you win, but it just puts value on winning. And I think to your point, Dave, of USA's and like having that slow jog, I still think that's those races at USA's are so exciting because you just don't know what's going to happen. You might have the like, what was the one year Lopez? Like they were just battling back and forth. They were doing these sprint 200 meters, jog 200 meters. And what he was in there too. It is like, it was crazy. And that was so much fun to see like what was going to happen next. And, you know, all these races, I think, are more fun at USA's because I guess strategy that comes in other than just hang on for dear life and run. I think you can still do a fast times meet at the end of the year or twice a year. You put on these super meets and you just go for times. I think there's a place for that. And, and I'm saying this is like, we benefit greatly from people chasing times. Like our meets are essentially those meets and we bring out the wave light. We do everything we can. We spend a bunch of money on pacers and do everything we can to get these, but man, it would be so much better overnight, you know, if it was just racing, it would, yeah, it would change anything. It wouldn't matter if you were running in Memphis, New York, SoCal, like it wouldn't matter, Atlanta, it wouldn't matter where you're running, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think winning is what makes an event. If you're going to the track and you're watching five people time trial and everyone is excited, even like you said, the person who finishes seventh is hugging the person who finishes first because they all pulled each other to a fast time. I mean, that's great sometimes, it's, but right. that's not a sport, right? I mean, a sport is like, you know, what makes the masters or, you know, the NBA championship exciting is like one person's dying to beat the other person and someone's like crushed the person who finishes second or third or fourth, like that emotion, like that, you know, you, when you strip that emotion from the sport, like it loses, it loses the flair. But 
Do you think there's any, I mean, what would it take to do that? Is it changing the contracts, changing the way the contracts are written? Like, is, is it performance bonuses in elite athletes' contracts? Or is it races having more prize money or prize money? High? I, I, I don't know. Like, what could we do to get there? Because I think I'm hearing this more and more. I'm hearing more and more people say the same thing. I'm hearing more and more people talk, especially in the light of like, in the age of technology and time's just getting faster and faster. Like, at what point does this change? Because... It seems like just such a no-brainer. Every conversation I, I have about the sport, it seems like pacing and the emphasis on times is like the first thing that everyone's like, we need to get away from that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point to where people will go to these BU meets over professional opportunities where there's points and money to chase times. And apparently that's valuable enough for their contracts or whatever, but they'll spend their own money to go there. There'll be no money and no points on the line. And they'll race those races over races that where there actually are points and money and whatever, because we'll be used really fast and I'm going to run PR. And that's gotten to be a thing. I think even to the, I don't know, even within groups or even from coaches or whatever, these chasing times, I think it's become a mentality that like, it's going to be hard to get out of, even if like pacing goes away and all these things, I think people are going to keep chasing times and doing these things. because they're so like in that groove. I, I do think if world athletics was to say overnight, there's no time standards and everything's points and everything's all these things, like I do think that would change overnight. Yeah, I do think like the head to head, the, the races that are head to head, like high school and college to some degree, like that's what it is, right? I mean, there are these high school super meets and there's, you know, some of the faster college races, but for the most part, they're just racing. And it's pretty exciting and it works. But it's going to be a lot. I mean, I think the contract piece they were talking about, that has to be there as well. So the time bonuses, but the, the contracts follow where the sport is. So if there was a league or a season or something going on with world athletics and people were being valued for places more than time, then the contracts would flip, you know, and they, they'd start saying, all right, if you're top three in these, these level races, you get this. And I'm sure most of them are. I wouldn't doubt if new contracts are saying, gold, silver, bronze, here's the different levels you get for what places you get. That's probably already happening, but probably even to a greater degree. The time bonuses, I think, are, they're obviously big enough that people are still chasing. You know, they'll go to meets with no no prize money, no anything, just to chase them. So they must be lucrative enough. But I think it starts with world athletics. I'm wondering, as, as someone who puts on professional meets as well, what you think of the critique that you hear a lot about having high schoolers race in professional meets and college kids race in professional meets and also professional meets where what we've always sort of done and largely we've done this for economic purposes is kind of have professional meets that are built around community meets. So there's like, you know, you might have a community race followed by a professional race and trying to fill the track with non-pros to kind of supplement the income model. Wondering just kind of what you think about that critique, because I, I hear that a lot thrown around when people are, are talking about kind of the problems with with professional track right now. Yeah, I mean, that's the toughest part is a little bit of this catch-22 because I'll flip it around and say, like, my bigger thing is I don't think pros should be able to run in college meets. I think if we did away with that, I was talking to a pro athlete this last weekend and I was talking about, like, this indoor season. I was like, there's a full season of indoor meets for pros, so you don't need to run college meets. Outdoors gets a little dicier. It's maybe not as much. Maybe you need some stuff. And and I'm I'm speaking on behalf of the stuff I know the most, which is like the distances and whatever. And indoors is definitely built in a better system. But 
you know, I think that's a good stop is like just separating things. It's confusing for fans to be like, well, they can run in these college meets and like, oh, that's a pro, but they got beat by a college person. Well, their seasons are different. Of course they are. You know, like you look at all those indoor meets this last couple of weekends and it's like, yeah, the, the college athletes are ready to roll right now. The pros are like are opening up and the college kids are ready to go. So I think that part is, you know, a huge part of it. But then I think the high school kids and the college kids and pro races, I think every once in a while, like it tends to be a pretty good story. You know, you picture like Allison Felix in high school at the Olympic trials or Sydney McLaughlin or somebody like that. Like it's a great story. I don't know, like I, if they said overnight that no high school college kids could run pro meets, I don't know that it would affect the sport very much. It wouldn't affect us much. Like we've had a couple moments where like Caitlin Tui broke this 5K record outdoors last year and Connor Burns broke the 5K record like a couple weeks before it was broken again. But we've had a couple moments like that where we've like benefited from some of those athletes jumping in because we're also in a weird sport where like, I would argue that the high school superstars are almost as more as popular or more popular than the pros and it's the weirdest thing and i look at other sports i'm like i guess that's starting to happen in a lot of sports you see like these highlight reels of these like high school aau basketball players right and you're like and they're so hyped up before they step one foot onto a college court or a pro court so i guess that happens in all sports but yeah i think separating all those things out would really help the tough part is, and you alluded to it, we've both done it at our events, is bringing those events together to help the pro event, to get more people out there. Because there is a disconnect between like high school, it's the most participated sport, track and field and cross country. And then even college, it's this gigantic sport, but then you get to pro and it's just giant, you know, cliff. And so we're trying to like connect those dots and get those fans to care more and and I think it benefits in a lot of ways. Like it puts more people in the seats. It gets potentially more fans to pay attention to, to this side of the sport. It educates the kids and it does all these things. So I think we're doing it all for the right reasons. And I think we kind of have to right now. But I, I do think in a perfect world, like all those things operate like on their own. You know, like you don't have to have all these high school and community races in your pro meet because the pro meet is a good enough product on its own. And I think if the pro meet was a good enough product, you wouldn't need all those things. But obviously we haven't figured that out yet. I don't think anybody's figured that out yet. It's really hard. And so we continue to like add community stuff and our 10 that we have coming up in two months, we have a whole kind of, part of it is that's only two 10Ks or a couple 10Ks. So it's like, try to spice it up a little bit. And so we have a whole, afternoon kind of evening of high school races like kind of elite high level high school races and that's going to be great for the meet it's going to put way more people in the stands for when these athletes are you know running 25 laps and it's going to be really good for the high school kids to see this level of the sport to watch you know records potentially broken but you know as much as we benefit from it yeah i mean in a perfect world i probably wouldn't have to do any of that it's interesting from a pure metrics perspective, and this is something that I'm sure brands are looking at, you know, even just prepping for this call, I was looking at your YouTube and in 2022 at the Brooks PR meet, Simeon Birnbaum breaks four and that video is like two, 300,000 views. That same year, you had eight guys break 28 minutes for the 10K, which is like insane, probably one of the deepest fields of all time. And you're talking 10 to 20,000 views and it just speaks volumes to like who's watching 
who is watching this? Where is money being allocated? I mean, I, I feel like I know the answer to this already, but like in terms of like budget for your 10K meet versus the Brooks PR meet, that, that's that got to look different, no? You know, for the two meets, I would say, you know, having a corporately funded meet is quite a bit different than we're funding our own meets, but we don't have the gigantic business that sells footwear and apparel behind us. And so now we do get sponsors and that helps, but it's different than having all those resources, having people, creative resources, and this whole brand behind something. And so I think on the high school side, you know, investment wise, you know, you see the Brooks PR meet, you see the New Balance indoors, you see what Adidas and Nike are doing with their meets, like, and then Hoka with Foot Locker this year. Yeah. I mean, it's that investment, those meets, the budgets for those meets are, we would, we would all be really happy with those budgets. Those would be not quite diamond league budgets, but they're pretty good budgets. And it's mostly around giving these kids like this queen and king experience for the weekend and less even around the meat product. Although for us, you know, at Brooks PR, we've always concentrated on the meat product. You know, we kind of wanted it to be the high school diamond league, you know, quick, entertaining, finals only, only the best, you know, whatever. And so from that vantage, I guess we have spent a lot on the meat product, but there is the budget for high school events right now and the budget for just around high school marketing. I, I would say there, there's got to be more money going into that than professional events outside of like Nike, who obviously spent, yeah. you know, sponsors USATF. But the rest of the brands, I would have to say they're putting more into high school than they are, high school events than they are into pro events. Now, if you add in the athletes and the groups and all that, it's probably, you know, different. But yeah, it is an interesting, you know, I was thinking about that question earlier today and I was like, it is interesting that that side of the sport and it's it's capturing these kids when they're young and they're making footwear choices and they're going to be the next big thing and you're hedging your bets on that. But like also to what you talked about, David, like high school kids are like really popular to other high school kids and everybody's following them. It's crazy. I mean, I remember it was, it was a while ago, but I remember being at Mount Sac cross country invite and there was a girl and I'm blanking now who broke the course record. And she broke the torture and she had an entourage of people following her around. And I just remember thinking like, that doesn't happen maybe at a pro meet like USA or something, somebody, you know, but like, not really. We saw that at the New Balance meet last year. I mean, obviously Sydney is the biggest star in track and field and she has people following her around, but absent that, I mean, there's probably Sid and then the young twins, like everyone following them around, taking selfies with the yeah. two of them. When you have Emma Coburn and... Corey McGee and some of the biggest distance stars in the world. And like those two kids were just as big kind of for the casual fan or the casual high school fan. They were not even just as big, they were bigger. You know, it's wild. It's a wild, uh, wild state of affairs. Jesse, kind of getting, getting, turning, turning back more to kind of like the nuts and bolts of like your job as a race director. Now that you're like two months out from an event like the 10, I imagine what's kind of unique about your events is that you're probably spending a lot more time talking to coaches and figuring out your fields than pulling permits and doing all that that stuff that a typical race director might do. But just kind of curious, like what your day looks like two months out from an event and, and how that kind of evolves as you get closer. You know, it's a combination. Now that we have multiple events, like doing some long, long-term planning stuff for some of those other events, especially at the beginning of the year, 
The 10 is probably one of our easier events to plan because on the pro side, it's pretty cut and dry. It's 10Ks. We have a couple 15s that we added just because we found the need was out there. And then the high school side of stuff, we're not really managing that part of it. The coach at the school is, is headed that up. And so as far as like seeding the fields and doing all that kind of stuff, we're just managing like the entry process. So yeah, I mean, it's mostly talking to the coaches with the top athletes and trying to figure out pacing and pacers because some of the things that people are shooting for or aiming for and some of the people we don't even know yet like on the women's side we have a little bit of an idea what people are shooting for at the top end but on the men's side nobody's reached out and said hey we're we're aiming for this like i think that's going to start to come together in the next couple of weeks um somebody runs something really big and the next couple of weeks and then now they they reach out and say hey we're going for this but right now we're just seeing these fields come together i mean you would think our sport's a little more organized but you know i'll hear about in an interview that somebody's running the 10 but i i wouldn't have known till the interview you know like i didn't talk to the coach or the, the co you know nobody had mentioned it yet because i think everybody goes meet to meet they're like we're getting ready for this meet and then we're getting ready for milrose we're getting ready for usa's and then like then we'll reach out about the 10. i i think we like prepare you know i have like my list of people that i'm pretty sure are running based on what we know about the sport they need standards they've mentioned it in an interview and so we start preparing for that and then we've worked on the back end of like trying to secure travel money for pacers and you know just like because to find people who can run those paces let's say whether it's 1330 through 5k or or faster and then you know maybe like 1450 through 5k it's like, well, there's not many people that can do that, period. And how do we even find those people? And so that ends up being the majority of the work, Goes going back to our pacing talk, like that ends up being the majority of like the conversations. And we've had pacers lined up and we were set like six weeks out. We're set, we feel good. And then we get two weeks out and somebody drops and it's like a really important pacer. And then we get to the meet and we like are cobblestoning it together and it looks disorganized, but people don't understand like, no, six weeks out, we were good. And like, we're just, you know, we're set where like somebody gets hurt or they get sick or that something just changes with them. Like we lose a, and with that few people that can do those times, that's really hard. Yeah. Those are probably the, all the different X factors you're dealing with right now, like setting the schedule. But then we just try to constantly communicate with the coaches and agents on like who's coming where and try to get a heads up. You know, sometimes they won't give us, they'll say, Hey, I, these people are eyeing this race and we can start planning. And then for us, we really started to work on how do we promote this? You know, not, not just, oh, you have to be an insider to know who's running the 10. You have to just happen upon our website. Like, how do we put, how do we get stories out there about who's running and what they're trying to do? And like, so on social media, like we've really worked hard to like send some people to Boulder and send some people to Flagstaff or whoever they are and try to capture some of those incoming stories so that we can at least hype up our own event and that's been something we've done over the last, at least last year. I think we started with cross champs a couple of years ago and we can only do more of that. I wish we could do 10 times more of that. I wish we could interview every single person coming. You've done a really good job with that. We've talked about that. We've, we've definitely noticed that you've been pushing that and those interviews like a couple of weeks out, like it's definitely, it, it's cool to see those and it's cool. Like that's what other sports do, right? Like weeks leading up to the events, you have interviews, you have 
And I, I mean, we can, we can talk for hours just about how hard it is to promote in this sport. I mean, one of the things that we always struggle with is like, when we've tried to have these events, you, you have those conversations where it's like, well, you talk to the coach, you talk to the agent and they're like, I'm pretty sure we're sending these three people, but please don't say anything. We're not sure their plans might change. Like don't publicize it. And, and so you're like sitting on this information that could help you sell more tickets, could help you get more people. You're sort of like casually saying to other people, like, we think we might have a 352 race taking shape, but you know, you can't say who's, who, who might be chasing that 350. It's just, it's so hard. It's so, and I think kind of coming back to what you were saying, like, if there is a season, if there is kind of more of a dedicated season, then you just know, like the 20 biggest stars are going to this meet and then this meet and then this meet, like you have in tennis and golf and right. Like there's the four majors, you know, that the top 60 tennis players are all going to be in this one place. Like it's not hard to sell tickets, right? It's, it's such a hard sport to promote. Yeah. We just don't help it. Like I think the agents and the coaches and Everett and the athletes are all kind of trained to be that way because we haven't given them a reason not to. So I, I blame, I blame them sometimes, but like, I also go, well, like our sports set up where they can just show up the day before and run and they don't have to do any of that to some degree. Why wouldn't they like, why wouldn't some of these people do exactly what they want to do? They don't want to deal with media. They don't want to do this and that. So we've set up the sport where we, we allow them to do that. But like, let's say you had this, this season and it was where the athletes make their money and it's where they get where they draw their fan base and where their contracts are linked up to and all these different things and where fans can follow and, and, and see consistent matchups. If you build that, then you can within that season be like, all right, here are the requirements of the season. Like a month out, we need to know that you're racing and a month out, we're going to start promoting and, you know, we're going to confirm a month out. You know, and there's, and because the season's so important, you're not going to get people dropping because they need this five meet, like all the money, all the appearance fees, all the contract bonuses are based around this, this season. And so I think it's a catch-all and I hate those like catch-alls, like if we do this, it'll fix everything. But, um, I keep going back to that. I think that would help us quite a bit, uh, to get some control because right now, you know, I had a really hard time during when we did cross champs this last year and I was like, all these teams are training. They're all in really good shape. They're all either going to go to this BU opener or they're going to go like do time trials. And we have a pro cross country meet in front of every single dollar that is in our sport, every sponsorship dollar that is in our sport. We have this pro meet and I was like pulling teeth, begging teams to come to it. And most of them were just going to stay at home and do a time trial instead. Or they were going to do that. And I just thought, like, how broken is our sport if they're choosing that over prize money, putting themselves in front of all the sponsors? But other than having prize money and points and all those things involved, which is why we did all that, I don't know any other way to get people to show up. So it was hard to be like, oh, this is crazy. Like, it's really pulling teeth to get people to show up. And it's not like they're not in shape. People were in shape. They were doing time trials. They were doing big workouts. They could have come down and run an 8K on that flat course. Super easy. And it had been good for their teams. It had been good for their athletes. It had been good for the sport. But right now, it's not shaped that way. And to piggyback off of your league idea, I'm a, I'm a huge NBA fan. And like to be able to follow with points and records, and, and they have minimum games you have to play to get awards, and you're fined if you, you know, you, your injuries don't line up with, with what they're supposed to. Also, if you're, not, if you're not running all out every event, there's no pacers, 
you don't have to worry about load management. If you have a six meet series and you're just 1500, these eight guys, you don't have to worry about a 330 race every single time. You just, I mean, if it ends up being a four flat race, but it's the most exciting thing, Jakob Ingerbritsen and Josh Kerr lean at the line, that's not going to beat you up. And it's going to be more exciting than a 330 to 331 race, I think, to a non-distance running fan. So everything you're saying is, I mean, Cooper and I have way too many conversations about this, but it just makes too much sense. And it honestly seems like the most of the pro athletes are on board with this format. That's what makes it the most frustrating thing is I, I listened to one of those podcasts with the with the on guys and they proposed the same thing like Jakob Bigger Britson one it's on a cross course one week three weeks later it's on a track four weeks later it's on a, a closed course road loop it just seems like such an exciting format and you know who has strengths on what course and I feel like you could do a two-hour podcast on just that like how do you recreate the league yeah oh yeah that's why soapbox is this like if you build the structure and mostly we're talking about building the business behind the sport right now it's the sport is like all led up to getting qualifiers and points so that you can make these teams but those teams only work out for the smallest percentage of our athletes but every single athlete is laddering their whole season and being around that and it's crazy. It'd be like if every single NBA player was only trying to be the league MVP or I don't, I don't know. That's not really, but like, you know what I mean? And, and everything else was failure. Um, that's how the Olympics and world champs are for our, our event. I'm like, well, we need to create a business in our sport where like this, this league is so fun and so cool and so profitable for athletes and for the, the sponsors involved that Olympics and world champs are what they are to other sports. You know, they're, they're cool. I mean, you know, LeBron and crew will get together every once in a while and they'll be like, okay, we're going to do the Olympics and they'll do it. And like, but NBA championships is way more important to them. And so I think if we build that, it also restructures the sport in a way that is right now, everything laddering up to an event every four years. And that only working for a dozen individuals or, you know, whatever it is like, that's crazy. Everybody builds their their idea of success around making that team or not making that team. And the reality is like, okay, well, why do you want to make that team? Is it because you're trying to make more money? Because it's a business. So what makes you the most money in the sport? And some athletes have figured that out. They've like said, screw it, gone to the roads or done whatever. Or they chase prize money. Like there's a handful of people doing that. Mm-hmm. But I- I'm always surprised at how few people are looking at this sport as a business to like, make money and laddering everything up to the Olympics, unless you are somebody that is going to make that Olympic team. Even then, I don't know financially that it, like you have to probably win a medal for the Olympics to be financially worth you just focusing on that. Cause getting like fifth, you're not going to now, you know, it's, no. it's a weird way to build your a hierarchy. I, it, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it would be interesting to talk more to some like high level distance runners, but yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot more money you could make on the roads and more prestige and fame probably than finishing third in the 5k and, you know, maybe not even making it out of the, the first heat in the Olympics. Right. But I bet like every single distance runner would rather be that person make $50,000 a year than make $200,000 on the roads, which they, I mean, I don't know if you can make $200,000 on the roads, but you could 
probably make hundred plus. Like if you're strategic about what races you're doing and. Yeah, I wonder. Like, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of like examples of like people who. I mean, there's people that third through fifth spot, right? Who, if you get third, you make the Olympic team. That's awesome. You're going to get a bonus here, get something. It's beneficial, but for those four years, if you just said, I'm going to the roads and I'm going to dominate the road scene, which those people would dominate the roads. Like picture like the women's 5k. So you got Elise, Alicia, Elise Cranny, like Natasha Rogers, you know, Emily Infeld, people like that, right? Those girls on the roads would win everything. Everything. They entered. Everything. everything they entered. Yeah. And the road prize money is, is better than diamond league prize money. Yeah. Like Diamond League first place is $10,000. And I don't think any of those girls have actually, like, because Diamond Leagues are really hard. Like, I don't think any of them have ever won a Diamond League. It's very hard for somebody to win a Diamond League. Mm -hmm. So, you know, more like eight or six or something. But, like, if you win the U.S., whatever, 10K road championships, like, that's probably, like, 15, 20, 25, something like somewhere in that range. And then if you just cleaned up, you did, there's like an 8K, there's a 5K, there's a 10 mile. I mean, what? And, and some of these random like rock and roll races have, you know, you could have, you can, they, it's not, it might not be 15,000, but it's 5,000 here, 8,000 here. Like, you know, yeah. you, can, you can definitely figure out ways to be strategic about it and find the races that do have significant prize money and just chase those. It almost there. seems like it's, we could be closer to formalizing a road season than a track season. It seems like the track, there's too many hurdles with, have to hit a time but on the roads it's like who cares right there's so much more of that racing aspect i get it like you know cal harbor 10k has been around for years so you can compare one year to the other but i feel like we're so much closer there i know you do mostly track stuff but i, I don't know if you feel the same yeah the roads i mean i always tell people that don't understand like the sport like especially when you tell them like what you do you know and you're like oh track and field meets and they're like deer and headlights the best example of our sport being like profitable and being a business is like the world marathon majors right oh, yeah those are gigantic businesses their sponsorships what they mean to a city what they bring in like not just those but you can add in like twin cities and you can add in all the marine corps and you can add in all these other events that are very successful that bring a lot to the community that bring in a lot of money and so the road racing scene is probably the best version of event business like we've talked about it, you know, track and field is not a lucrative part of the event business. I'm like hard-headed enough to think we can make it that way, but like, but for right now and what works and what's good, the road racing scene is so much more profitable and such a better business. I mean, with those economics, like you can build a better scene and get cities around it because it's right there in front of you. Like there's definitely a nice base for a road running circuit. And USATF has one. And I don't know if it's like good or bad. Just like there's all those distances and all those different things. Like, you know, interesting but, to see what happens with that San Diego like road race national championship or world championship happening next year. I've I've sort of like started to follow that a little bit, but still, it's in the early stages of kind of figuring out what that looks like. It'd be super interesting, and you know, road races are fun to watch and fun to be a part of. And I think like if the amount of people that pay attention to Boston and Chicago, New York and Berlin, all these like. If we could get even a percentage, a small percentage of those people to pay attention to track, you know, like there's there's mass participation out there. Like, I don't know if there's that many people playing like rec basketball in their 30s and 40s and 50s, like, but there's this yeah. many people jogging and doing races and going through the same process as these pros. And I'm like, well, that's, you share something like, 
you get up in the morning, you, you know, you got to go for the run and you have the same instincts and you go through the same soreness and you see a PT and you have your workout day and your long run day. Like those are shared experiences. I don't know how we haven't been able to connect to those. Yeah. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I think just the last question we had for you is being in this space, just kind of curious if there are any race directors, event managers, people out there that you like really respect, look to partially for our own selfish purposes because we're looking for more future guests. So who would you be interested in hearing us chat with in the future? And who's who are people kind of doesn't necessarily need to be in running, just doing cool stuff that you kind of really respect? Yeah, I feel like I learn from almost everybody because I've taken like little bits, like whether it's like learning from them or just like whatever. But, you know, the Portland Track Festival guys, you know what they've been doing there for years. They were kind of the original They've been doing that meet over a decade. You know, that whole group, like they have a well-oiled machine. They even have like a board and like, it's a business for them. And they do other things in the community, whether it's creative or whatever it is, they've built that up. Now they, they are in the perfect community to do that, but they've embraced it and nailed it. So I would say the two Tennessee guys, Max Paquette at the Ed Murphy Classic, everybody does something a little different. The Ed Murphy Classic, it, it really felt like this like hometown track meet with all these like global stars, but like the track side, like atmosphere, they just did a good job. And I, I think everybody does a good job with different things, you know, and then you have Dave Milner that does, he's been doing the Nashville music Dis city distance classic forever. And that meet has always, he's always tried new things. Like anybody trying new things, you know, yeah, I mean, I've learned from all, like you guys, I've learned from all these different people, like watching what everybody's doing. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, if you want to talk the business side of the sport, one of the best people you can talk to is Ben Rosario because Ben runs NAZ Elite like a business. There's very few people running their club team or their pro team like a business. It's a brand extension, but NAZ Elite is, is truthfully like a business the way they run it. So I think like people like that as well, just... And, he, and Ben's also done road races. He's owned running stores, you know. Awesome. All right, Jesse. Well, this was great. Honestly, I really feel like we like barely scratched the surface of all these things, but I think this was a good conversation in terms of hitting on the major topics. So appreciate your time. Excited to, I have the 10 circled in my calendar. So hopefully I'll, I'll be able to make it this year now that my kids are a little bit older and sleeping a little bit better. But appreciate you and appreciate everything. And uh, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me.